Hello and welcome to another edition of Solidarity House, Solidarity Collective, and we are here with our guest, Shane DeLeon from Miss Massive Snowflake, band with a lot of history, based out of Montana, wonderful group, just recently came through Laramie and had a great time at our show here at the Greenhouse. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, uh, Shane. This is Antifa. Yes. I'm here with our friend, and he is uh, another member here at Solidarity House, a member of Solidarity Collective. Uh, remember, if you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash solidarityhouse. That's patreon.com slash solidarityhouse. And uh, support your local favorite podcast for music and arts here in Laramie. All right, Shane. So... We met down in June 24th during the um, Gloomy June and Miss Miss Massive Snowflake concert that happened in the Greenhouse. Enjoyed your show. Was able. To, I was glad to get so many of your merchandise, your shirts, your cassettes, and some albums. I've been listening I to quite. I appreciate you doing that. No, absolutely, man. Like you have to spend it to make that economy real. You got to spend that money so you make the, share those bands can keep going. Like, yeah, I saw you telling people to buy stuff. You had a friend that was there. You're like, man, you got to buy it. Come on. I buy a shirt, too. Yeah, You're all busting his chops to buy more. Yeah, as, as a band leader, I appreciate that. No, absolutely, man. I get that. Like, being part of, like, some organizations that ran on community and, like, outreach and, like, stuff. Like, being part of, like, all this organizing with food.bombs, I knew firsthand the fact that if you want this stuff to keep going, you need to have people, like, contribute. And if people can't contribute, do it. Uh, because like as much as we really appreciate you know, going to the to that like small house show in the greenhouse like it's free to go in there but like everyone knows there we there's like always a donation and if you love the greenhouse if you love these bands always support them because like hell a drive from Billings Montana down to here like that's a lot and that's a lot of money man I can I can waste a good hundred bucks now on that trip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we had been out. That was towards the end. We did about ten shows. Went out to the coast. Uh, Oregon and Washington, and Colorado, Wyoming, North Dakota, no, South Dakota, that's what I mean, and Montana on that tour. So, yeah, I was happy. I love Laramie. I started going to Laramie around 2013 or 14 because I met Shotgun Shogun in Denver. So they were kind of my uh, foray into the Laramie scene, which is a huge lover of music. I've been coming around for about a decade now and always been impressed with the music scene in Laramie. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Shotgun Shogun would also were in that show too, wouldn't they? Like the yeah, last, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also, band, yeah. yeah, I bought one of their T-shirts and like one of their albums in there. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good thing that we have them here because like as much as we love all these bands coming in, we also like to show appreciation to our local bands like um, Brain Sweat and like Shotgun Shogun, and there's also a new band Don't coming out with and Duck Go that just right. recently played last week. It's like so. And, and the dollhouse. Yeah, and the dollhouse. We can also appreciate that, but enough about that. <laughs> enough about there's that. There's a lot of them, you know. There's a lot of them. Red Bush used to be sad. I mean, there's a lot of people around, you know. It's like, yeah, Will Plum used to start off a lot of that, bringing in that. Um, but yeah, like, um, what really brought you, like, be, like, what, what really, how did you feel about the greenhouse venue? Like, how did it resonate with you? Like, the energy oh, and all that? Oh, I love it. I, I live here in Billings, Montana, and I run a place called Kirk's Grocery, which is a DIY venue. So probably about twice as big as the greenhouse. It's like a glorified house show, where that was kind of like a small basement. We have a, maybe twice as much room in our main room. And so, you know, that's this is what I do up here in Billings is we have shows two, three nights a week here. Just had the Love Darts come through the other night, who I know have played the Greenhouse a couple times already. Have you caught them yet? 
Um, I haven't got them in their content yet, so, so like, um, I haven't been to every show, sadly, since there's some days I'm sick, or some days oh, I just... okay, I yeah. just wondered if you'd seen them. They just played here a couple nights ago, and they've played Laramie, I think, like, twice in the last six months. So well, hopefully I, well, hopefully I get to see them soon, because I'll definitely be more up to, like, interviewing that, too. Um, oh, yeah, you know, that was kind of our only, on that tour, that was like, oh, we did some DIY venues, like, non-profit venues mm-hmm. that were great out in Tacoma. There was a place called real art all ages diy venue but like you know nice stage and a bunch of people coming together to do that you know uh, it's kind of the kind of venues i prefer over bars you know oh no most uh, definitely though, though there's plenty of great bars to play in um you know a lot of times it's just uh, people talking while you're playing you know so diy house shows uh diy venues anything that's focused around the art over just like consuming a bunch of alcohol while the art happens yeah i'm i'm, I'm into yeah, it's also great that, like, if you do DIY shows, they're less ages, so 18, 17-year-olds can actually experience some, like, local music. Because, like, oh, the yeah. Greenhouse is realistically the only venue anyone under the age of 21 can actually go to. Because, like, the Duck, um, the yeah, the Rough Duck Duck, um, Grain on Tame, and all these other local, like, bars are only able to cater to people who are 21 and over. And they're always going to have to And that kind of kills the local scene, because by the time people are 21 they already know what they like to do you know by the time you're 21 if you haven't been going to underground shows for four or five years you know you you've just been waiting to go to bars I, you know you lose those people because they weren't uh trained kind of is the wrong word but they weren't exposed to underground music young so places like the greenhouse what i have here in billings it's an all-age venue and you know we'll have 16 year olds talking to people in their 70s plenty of nights you know just super cross-generational here and you know that's what i love about diy shows you know though i think i was probably the oldest person at the greenhouse by far no maybe your friend me and your friend were up there we need to be doing this here (laughs) yeah we need oh yeah no we actually were talking about using our space uh especially our kwanzaa hut we have here as a little venue place we were actually in talks with like alex to see what we need to do to get that running because like just recently a couple uh, a week ago um um, Brain Sweat just performed. Um, there, uh, they were the last band to go, but they were getting so many noise complaints that like um, police have had to be called in and like um, shut down the place for the day. At the greenhouse? Yeah, the greenhouse. It was just like, oh wow. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a shame because like it's like they were going hard. Like I love going into Brain Sweat stuff, but I can't understand. Like it's a little much for many of our neighbors since they go really hard. But like, the, obviously we should. I, yeah, they're actually playing Kirk this upcoming weekend during oh. Dry Fest here in Billings. Oh, so cool! Brain Sweats are playing here next weekend, so. Well, yeah, cool to hear. My spot, so you can hear back what it sounds like, what they thought of my spot when they come up here. Ooh, that's good to hear. Uh, well, I hope they enjoy their time over there. Like, it sounds like you you have a great venue there. Uh, but back to the main topic, like, of your music. So you started this back in 2004. What got you into, like, really wanting to make a label and a little DOI, like, area? And also, what got you into making Miss Master Snowflake? I'm from Billings here. Uh, and I had moved in 1988. Uh, I graduated high school in 1988, and I moved to San Diego, like, instantly. Got into the music scene in San Diego for about six years, had a band down there, and then I moved to Oregon in 94, and I joined this band, Rollerball, uh, and I was in that band for a decade in Portland, Oregon, like, uh, 1997 to 2007. Uh, and I was putting out, I had a label then, I had a different label called Jalopy Grotto, in the 90s, put out a bunch of, I think we did 14 releases. I've always had a record label since I was like 17, because I've always recorded my bands and wanted to put my bands out. I've been on a few other record labels, you know, 
signed some contracts and put out records with other people. And I enjoy that too, but I'm pretty prolific. And so I just started putting out my own records early on. But then, and then I stopped that Jalopy Grotto label right around 2002. And then I started Miss Massive Snowflake, which was kind of like a recording project beginning with. I was just playing acoustic guitar and like kind of pre-programming beats and stuff and doing a lot of experimental sounds. And that's when I decided to start a band again. I left Rollerball and I started Miss Massive Snowflake. Uh, I guess it started before I left. But anyways, it was concurrent. Um, and I just started a label. And yeah, I, I've, I've always worked with other bands too. Uh, in October, I have a new release coming out by this awesome Canadian band called 36. And then another Canadian band called Laura Hickley. And I've met both of them through Kirk's Grocery. Uh, I love just promoting artists. Like Kirk's Grocery here is also, we promote artists, visual artists. Um, as I've gotten older, I kind of realize creativity is all the same. So if I'm playing music or drawing or promoting other bands or, you know, to me, it's all just like an art life at this point. You know, I just have surrounded myself with artists and that's kind of what I do every day, you know, in different forms, you know. And this massive snowflake has just been my main musical vehicle since 2004. I've been a songwriter. I think I've written over 200 songs. We have like seven full length albums, tons of singles and EPs. Yeah, I just like to record and tour. Uh, the band Miss Massive Snowflake has played like uh, over 800 concerts since we've started. So we've been a real uh, touring band as well. Toured Europe a whole bunch, toured all over the US. Um, and then when COVID hit, it's kind of a lot of recording happened. Uh, that tour you saw us on was our first tour we had done since COVID had started. So, you know, that's, uh, that's been almost two years where I used to tour all the time. Now it's I haven't toured for two years till you saw us. So very excited on that tour. That was a really good tour. Uh, happy playing with some younger new people in the band. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, I, I'm completely glad that you decided to take our chance in the greenhouse like as one of your stops for this tour and after a long stance of covid like i'm pretty sure many bands here feel similar the same way with many of them like unable to do live shows and many recordings had happened with many of these like local bands having like a long decent discovery of songs that they can play for these shows which it's kind of a blessing and like and a curse the same way because like you want to show people this you want to be that but yeah. like hey you can't because people have to be safe and so like uh, you yeah. took the opportunity to obviously record that and like and with that show i was just like i was vibing a lot with that feel like the 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 overall like um pathway with gloomy june going there miss Mastic slow flake and then ending off with shotgun shogun was a good like um, sense of progressive rock and like more of the um, experimental rock that like we hear out now. Which yeah, the- yeah, that was a great night. I just want to point out though, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade. It's important that I believe that that show that we went to at the beginning of July yeah. was the show that we're talking about, and that was a super spreader event because like everybody there got COVID. <laughs> so I so I yeah like so two days later after that show. Or maybe even the next day, I saw Gloomy June post on their Instagram, hey, we got COVID, which is interesting because they came to that show in masks. They all showed up masked, and they wore masks, so they were like kind of the only people at the party that showed up masked. And then they announced the next day that they had, had, that they had COVID. Yeah. And then I tested positive the day after that. Uh, and then the, the, the bass player in Miss Massive Snowflake got COVID, I think that night. Oh, wow. That. But me and the drummer did not. So we played one more show in Rapid City the day after Laramie, and then we drove back to Billings, and then the next day our bass player tasted 
tested positive for COVID. Uh, and the drummer and I isolated for like two days and took like I took like four COVID tests over those two days and it was just negative. So I just kind of went around my business. But yeah, it was. I agree. That did happen that night. But I actually was talking to your bass player a lot. So I was assuming whether maybe I got it from him or something or I gave it to him, which I'm sorry about that. Like, yeah, we were. Oh, you know, it's we were we made the decision to go on tour. You know, I mean, that was. I've toured a lot this year, besides with Miss Massive Snowflake. I tour with the Spandell 1011, um, who's good friends of mine, and I like do teching for them, and I've already done the whole South and the whole Northeast this year. And they're a bigger band. They're doing like 500 room, 500 people rooms, you know. So, oh, wow. Um, and I didn't get it during any of those. To the best of my knowledge, I haven't caught it, on, and I have exposed myself pretty heavily this year to people after not for like a year and a half. I was pretty good. And this this year, I just was like, well, I'm going to go on tour. I guess I'm going to get COVID. And I still, to the best of my knowledge, I haven't, you know. Yeah, you may have been one of the lucky ones that haven't gotten it or got it and didn't know. But uh, I mean, that's part of the politics you've been swimming in the past, you know, what all of us have been swimming in the past two years since this happened. And like you said, that was your first chance to get out and back on the road. And how how's it been? Have you been receiving a, a, a nice, warm welcome back on the road or that all the shows is... I have, yeah, yeah, I think, well, you know, I run this, I have a kind of a skewed vision because I also run Kirk's, um, so I get to see the underground music here, seen in Billings, and I think uh, people are much, they, they're easier part with their money to give to band about how buying stuff, I think people are buying more stuff again, um, I didn't ever used to charge a cover at Kirk's, uh, it was all donation-based, uh, and when we restarted, I started with a $10 cover, and I have had like no complaints. Like we, you know, we had uh, two shows this weekend, and both of them had like thirty-five people at both of them, um, and no one has complained about it, which has allowed us to pay the bands a lot more. We just split the, the money fifty-fifty with the bands. Kirk's keeps half, and the bands keep the other half. And uh, we're not a bar; we don't sell alcohol or anything. So, so you know, I see that happening. I think people are a little more happy to support art and I don't know if that'll go away you know after a year or two but I feel uh, you know they really realized how much art brought to their lives music and all that stuff you know too true too true well you know you gra- just to switch tracks um, here you graduated from high school in 1988 that means you and I grew up listening to a lot of the same music what would you consider to be some of your musical inspirations uh, you know that, that have that sparked you to wanting to make your own band uh, well, early on, for sure, just like punk rock in general, like Black Flag in particular, you know, probably I was already, you know, I I was somehow I got into like hip hop in like uh, seventh grade, like so early 80s. Um, I was listening to like Curtis Blow and Grandmaster Flash and stuff like that here in Billings. And not a lot of people were. I just had a brother who loved music. So I kind of got exposed to that. And so I think that was kind of like an early precursor to me, like liking weirder music. Not that hip hop is weird now, but it was brand new in the early 80s, you know. Um, and then when I got to high school, uh, about 10th grade, and I met other people who were into skateboarding. And that's kind of when I discovered 10th grade, when I found like, you know, Black Flag, The Descendants, like all, you know, everything, Detroit's and touch and go records, all sorts of stuff. Um, and so I think the mindset of punk rock from that era stuck with me more than the um, a lot of the actual sounds of the bands. You know, I moved on probably by my mid twenties from like listening to a lot of punk rock, but the attitude of just doing it yourself and creating your own reality 
community based, you know, like anarchism and, you know, working together like the greenhouse does to make things happen for people for no other reason than to just make things happen for people. So we have a better community and better people around us, you know, and inspire other people. So that was real influential to me, like punk rock. But then um, I heard like 70s era Miles Davis when I was like maybe 19. Um, and that really opened my mind to uh, just like long form improvisation and stuff, which kind of led me into experimental music because I like a lot of noise and experimental. And I think that's all a progression of, you know, punk rock and out there jazz and stuff like that. But I mean, I listen to everything. I mean, one of my favorite bands now, just for like the last 15 years, has been of Montreal. Uh, I just think they do a lot of really interesting different albums lyrically and the sounds they change their albums and they get short attention to bands and things like that I really like that thank you I'm just curious about that I've not listened to all of those bands but uh, I have uh, actually heard a couple of them I think I saw Black Flag play a show back in the 80s um, with oh, a friend awesome. in high school so that was a long time ago yeah. my friend although you were a little bit older than me so uh, but not my batch <laughs> just a couple of yeah, years you know, when I came up in the era of grunge you know I lived in San Diego you know during the whole grunge area you know Nirvana Mud Honey that was super influential on me in my late teens early 20s though I never played that music I've never played in a band you know Rollerball had no guitar player I was in a band for a decade with no guitar player oh wow uh, it was, uh, I played keyboards and kind of harmonies and played trumpet. So um, when I started Miss Master Snowflake, it was like a, the first time I'd been in a band since I was a teenager where I was like, there's going to be a guitar in the band. It's going to be centered around guitar rock. So um, that's been really fun with Miss Master Snowflake. And I actually kind of want to do like a little 180. Well, not really much because there was it was some mention in the conversation here with um, punk and DIY. But like, um, and going into the politics route in this one, I hear you mention anarchism, and do you have any um, influences of a politi politics, especially left or right um, anarchists or communists within your, like, lyrics and how you do about your business with, like, Crooks Groceries, and if, can you elaborate about that? Oh, sure, yeah, I can elaborate on that. Um, I mean, personally, I would consider myself an anarchist. I mean, in the, in the term of anarchism is being focused on small community-minded helping the people directly around you to affect each other's lives you know um and i really don't i pretty much reject all authority you know i don't i don't really you know even though we have to live within the society and if a cop comes and arrests me for doing something illegal but i don't kowtow to them or believe they have really any authority over me like it's just like fake authority uh given by you know un just because they have the power to do it, you know, they just can come take me or whatever. Yeah, you so got a home in me. That's my personal politics. Is that it's very much like you know the only people who have power over me are people I allow to have power over me. But you know, I'm also very. I would I write socialism a lot with hashtags in Kirk's Grocery because this is my hometown and I'm really trying to change it. Um, and I think you know what that means to me with the hashtag of socialism at Kirk's Grocery is that it's supposed to be, like our slogan is all our t-shirts say like Kirk's Grocery for the common good. That's like what it is. And mm -hmm. so I really just try to be like a community center and uh, the people that come here get to kind of choose the path, which means that there's been a local chef who showed up about a year ago. Now she makes food for people for free all the time or by donation. So we uh, we had a refrigerator here for about a year and a half. We just stopped a program where there was always free food at Kirk's Grocery. We're right next to the mission in St. Vincent, so we're on a very highly trafficked transient homeless population corner. Mm. Um, and I've been uh, 
you know, I think you can make huge changes in the world without being subscribing to like you need to vote for this guy or that person i think the biggest changes you can make are like direct like what alex is doing at the greenhouse think how many people's lives he affects or how many thought processes are just changed by going to the greenhouse the first time and people just being like what is this you know i don't you know i just think when you see these things where there's people that think outside of themselves uh, like Alex has, you know. The reason I know about the greenhouse is because I had reached out to Madison, who's in Aviatrix and Shotgun Shogun, because she's kind of my contact there in Laramie. Uh, and she was like, "Oh, you got to play the greenhouse. You know, you've played the buckhorn four times, and you know, you've played the roughed up duck four times." And she's like, "You need to play the greenhouse. That's where people are going to love you." So uh, I was happy to play there because it's definitely aligns with my politics of. Uh, being for everybody like you said all ages shows um music and artists for everybody i don't think it's a classist thing i don't think it's just for rich people you know or uh you know so i guess that's some of the answers to your questions no that's definitely way more than i expected to be honest like um yeah i really agree with many of the like the samples you're saying how like you created like a fridge um, for people who really need food and some like a nice cold water for winter in the summers and the hot days there because that was used to be my community work back in South Carolina when I was living there for for years that um, I was part of this org um, we created like um, fridges for people to collect food from we had a food now bombs network to ensure down at least in uh, this impoverished people in the city we were living at uh, got free food yeah. uh, we also gave out like um, care packages of like hygiene products which if you it's a good fuck it's a good source um, for helping people in need immediately especially for people uh, who can't afford all that, like can't afford tampons, can't afford a toothbrush, can't afford continuously getting all this stuff, and it's always great to have them good out there. And I really appreciate the fact of like you putting out this and down in Billings, especially like um, around uh, many territory, like territories where like people really get ignored. Like here in Miami, you will see a lot of homeless people down in the summer, sometimes even down to the fall. And, like, they have many soup kitchens here down into the Laramie soup kitchen. They have the food bank here. But a major problem here is the housing for many of those people, considering the fact that, like, uh, it's a small town. The shelters here are usually built around four families instead of just individual um, homeless people. And, like, uh, we try our best to help people around here. We give out free eggs. Um, we're trying to do more um, stuff community-wise with politics and, like, creation for people to have a sense of community here because that's why we're here. That's why Solidarity is here. For Miami, creating a home here so people know that, like, hey, fuck the current system, fuck the classic system. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't have to slave away or die away because you can't afford it. And there's many... Or if you don't want to, you know, many people have have a serious work ethic and there's nothing wrong with that they want to work they want oh, no, that's to feel productive you know but there's other people uh, that that's not where they find their worth and that's not they don't fit into society and, oh, yeah. you know, uh, I think it's really easy for a lot of people to glance over those people and just say like screw them you know they don't get it and they should realize everybody doesn't want to work but the thing is is a lot of times when I'm talking with people you know I think people want to be right a lot of times yeah. I mean, we all want to be right, you know, with our opinions. But, I mean, I feel a lot of times I've tried to, as I've gotten older, just like, at the end of the day, when I'm arguing with people, I, I want a better society in the long run. Like, you know, so you have to just give up a fight sometimes just so 
that it's just like, well, I'm not going to describe it to this person in a way that they're going to understand, you know, because they're just like, well, why would you give that away? Why would you just buy water and give it away? You could sell it for a dollar. You could sell that bottle of water for $2. I'm like, yeah, but these people don't have $2, like, you know? Yeah. And literally, I bought 24 waters for three ninety eight at Walmart. And now, you know, uh, one of the ways I know of most of the transients and the street people on this block now, on this part of town because for three years I've like fed them not and I've treated them like people and when they come in here and they ask about the art we're in our gallery I give them a tour just like I would anybody that you yeah. know so uh, I there's people that come here that are homeless that I just let sit at tables and draw not let they just come in and sit down and you know I don't kick them out because I can tell that they don't have a place to live you know mm -hmm. like I let them draw and you know like Kurt's is a commercial space like we do sell things we have records we have art you know it's ten dollars to come to a concert but we also uh, give out free food we also will let you sit here for hours and not give us any money so like we, we straddle this line of using the current system of capitalism you know trading money for goods and stuff as well as trying to use just like social currency of like free food um free water you know trying to better the society out front of my building so yeah. maybe you know someone doesn't smash my windows like i've had my windows smashed before but, but maybe knowing all these people they're gonna think twice before they do that or something you know what i mean so it's just kind of for me it's just it's safety it's also good for the community and uh, i think it's good for young people to see you know i'm 51 so like you know a lot of people my age might just turn to homeless people right around me do you got a dollar um, you know i'm like oh let me show you this art i don't have a dollar but i got some water you want to check some art out you know and i think when younger people who are younger than me see that they're like oh wow you know shane's not scared of homeless people he doesn't think they're gonna like eat his face off when they say hi to him he just says like you know, and it's, I think it's good for people to see other people treat people like humans, you know. Yeah, that's really definitely. When, it's real easy when you're young, but, you know, I chose a life that, you know, is, I always, I still around tons of people on the edge of society, you know, tons of trans kids hang here. We have gay people, you know, it's like Kurt brings a interesting, diverse group of people. Um, and, you know, it's important they have a place to go, you know, because yeah. there's really not a place. It's like Laramie, probably. There's not many places for, you know, super weird people to go and feel safe completely. I mean, you're a college town, so maybe, but, you know, it's also rednecky like Billings. I'm sure people are still getting beat for weird haircuts, you know. Yeah, Laramie is a unique specimen. Uh, speaking of the people in Laramie, where can they, uh, your fans in Laramie and other uh, fans across the globe, go to keep track of you for your uh, schedules and your shows? So for the band, Miss Massive Snowflake, you know, you can do that on Facebook or Instagram, both, you know, just Miss Massive Snowflake. Uh, that's going to keep you up to date with that band. Kirk's Grocery, the same, uh, K-I-R-K-S, and then Grocery, and that's Instagram and Facebook. That's kind of the two I use, you know. Um, and then I have North Pole Records as well, which is kind of a group collaborative effort of a few of our friends. We put out music now by other bands. As I said earlier, we're putting out a band from Canada called 36. That's the main ways right there. I mean, uh, kirksgrocery.com will keep you up there. It's massivesnowflake.com or Bandcamp, any of those. We're all over YouTube. <laughs> I don't know. There's so much, you know, it's hard to keep track of. You just keep pumping out content and hope it gets out there to somebody who likes it. Well, awesome. And, you know, a reminder to folks, and I've said this before, that if you want this economy to exist, the music economy and the arts economy, you have to spend it into existence, which means you have to 
go to shows and you have to buy merch and then you have to talk to your friends and you have to make people excited about what's going on in their local community music wise that they probably just weren't aware of before and so I, I think that and they don't know how to act once they get there I kind of brought that up earlier like if you've never been into a space like the greenhouse or you've never been into a space like Kirk I can see it people walk in and they're just confused you know they're just like what is happening you know like I'm in the basement and there's a mosh pit and people seem to know the lyrics already you know it's like it's just uh, I think you have to make sure in those kind of venues that people feel welcome you know? Right, exactly, and I mean, we want to keep it open to to everybody, and the and you know the only way to keep the greenhouse rolling, and I think we're going to have to start charging them for advertising. I'm I'm kidding. We had we had uh, <laughs> we had them on earlier. Who was it from the greenhouse? We Alex. Had? Alex. Yeah, we had Alex on for an interview earlier, and uh, they just seem to be coming up in all of our conversations. So I think that's fantastic. Um, so get check out the greenhouse as well. MissMassiveSnowflake.com. You can find them on Bandcamp. You can find them on Facebook. You can and find them on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, yeah, thanks for some intelligent conversation. Yeah, thanks. this has been another episode of Solidarity House. Uh, we have been with Shane DeLeon, who is uh, from Miss Massive Snowflake. Thank you so much for coming on, Shane. And remember, if you want to support this economy, go to patreon.com slash solidarity house and make a donation so that we can keep talking to your favorite artists. Welcome to Solidarity House, and uh, we're going to have a little conversation about our transportation fund and our transportation needs and transitions, Uh, and if you like this sort of thing, you should go right now to patreon.com slash solidarity house and become a supporter for $5 or more a month. Uh, You'll get some premium content, you'll get to be cool, and you'll get to be supporting this cool project and all of our our wonderful podcasts uh, and uh, and making sure that other people can continue to listen to this content for free because there's not that many communal, you know, cooperative, commune, how many C words can I think of, uh, podcasts out there that that give you the guts eye view of what's uh, what's going on. And where was that again that they go to give us dough? What? It's patreon.com slash solidarity house. Oh, patreon.com slash solidarity house. Yeah, yeah. If you like what we're doing, we need your support always. Not just for the uh, automobile fundraiser that we recently have uh, had. And, um, yeah, we're going to talk about that, too. Shout out to everybody uh, who helped us on that and is helping us and will help us in the future. Um, but uh, other things that we do here that are amazing at Solidarity House. Lots of changes coming here. Lots of exciting new things in the works. And keep us going. We're going for it. So, uh, transportation, yeah, we're not going to the moon. Um, and uh, But... If we did, if we, did. we would build a co-op uh, on the moon, and um, we probably would uh, make you know make do with the whatever uh, size urine containers they they gave us because we're very adaptable. Right. Inter space um, or uh, yeah, inter interstellar space communism is where we're at. So yeah, let, let's go for it. But we recently had a complete. I don't, know. I don't know what else to call it other than a cluster as far as our transportation situation here in that uh, it seemed that all at once all of the vehicles of all of the members 
systematically became inoperable. Ceased to function. Ceased to function. It started with our uh, our good comrade Angel. His car got stolen in Denver. Um, Totaled. It's been a dance with the insurance company back and forth. So that was shot number one. Uh, I had a uh, little mishap and got uh, a used car to replace my other used car, um, and it ta- and it the all the electrical went out on it. Yeah. It was as if somebody, it was as if there had been an EMP blast, uh, but it was just on my truck. Yeah, and and, and so and then we had a. Uh... We had a comrade join us um, here who's visiting and uh, may become a full member of Solidarity House um, who uh, uh, was providing a, a great deal of uh, transportation services in addition to Antifa, that's me, uh, my vehicle. And uh, then his car uh, got... and then, Was the victim of some, some mishaps. Some mishaps. Uh, so lost a, a tire, went... By individuals and so individuals who are not details. comrades yeah, <laughs> yeah. somebody's but yeah. the, the needless to say non-comrade. Is, that car is now on a cinder block waiting to get taken to the uh shop and then my vehicle the starter died and that's because over the course of this time like what two and a half months since this all started gradually everyone is drifting to just using just my vehicle, uh, that vehicle. and so the car was literally being started like 20 30 times a day with all the trips that were going around and that's not mm-hmm. what it was intended for and the interesting <laughs> thing just to to squeeze into that analysis because to, to kind of get a picture of why we ended up doing what we're doing which we had wanted to do for a long time anyway is that you really get a sense of how much uh fuel also is used um uh, because as as the um uh, I, I don't know what to call it, the Mandalorian mobile or whatever the fuck it is that you drive, uh, became the default <laughs> the vehicle, shuttle, yeah, the default then one. suddenly we're putting, you know, like 60 plus bucks of gas a week uh, into it. Um, and, you know, we also have to, we, we got to go down into Fort Collins for supplies every once in a while. We got to go down the mountain uh, for yeah. supplies. Uh, and so... You know, and then taking people to and from work. And, you know, we're even doubling up on a lot of these trips and doing a lot of combinations. But don't still, forget kids that yeah. got to go to school now. Yeah. And so... Kids to school. And people are like, oh, that's ridiculous. You just need to, you're just making too many trips. And it's like, ah, actually, it's a, a start here, a start there, a start here, a start there. And, you know, it adds up real quick. And yeah. so my, the, the mechanics, like, your starter was so dead. It's like I couldn't even get it to te- do a test charge. Um, he had to beat it with a hammer. And, the, they and haven't even called me yet after like three days. Uh, <laughs> like at the on the first day with the truck, they were like, well, we're going to put a new battery in and that's going to at least get the radio working and some things. But, you know, we got to look at this other panel. And then that's the last I've heard of them. And I think they just got sucked into the electronic uh, instrument panel black hole. And, they're too, and I think they're scared. Uh, to call me and tell me how much that's going to be. But anyway, <laughs> the important thing is that it has brought us to a place that was inevitable. Um, and that is the place of creating a Solidarity Collective motor pool. And it's, I think it's been a long time coming. Uh, I think it got accelerated up by all of this. And also there are a number of people that are here that just that don't know how to drive. 
It was never something that they learned how to do. And I, I, I can understand that. I knew people in when I lived in Chicago that didn't drive, didn't have a driver's license, because why would you need one growing up in the city of Chicago? There's a train or a bus everywhere. And you shouldn't have to have a car uh, to live in the collective. And thus far, what we've been doing is uh, a just sort of a slapshod version or a slipshod. What am I trying to say? And something like that, A yeah. slipshod version of what we need to do systemically, right? Because right. we already share everything, which means, you know, in the past, it's like, hey, Antifa, we need your car. Okay, don't wreck it. Uh, and, uh, you know, and now it's like, what we're going to do is we're going to create a fleet of four vehicles. And uh, one of those vehicles will be an electric vehicle. Uh, and it's kind of, we're kind of modeling Dancing Rabbit and what Dancing Rabbit has done. And it's, if they can do four, or I can't remember if it's five vehicles now, uh, with, you know, 70, 80 people, something like that. Sweet Jesus. We can do four vehicles for the 16 people that will be here living in the in this space by mid-October. It, it's totally doable. And I, I think it's important for us to, I don't know if we want to segue into the conversation about the intersection between capitalism and transportation. Mm -hmm, exactly. But this has really brought to light how our urban design, and, I mean, and Laramie is different, unique because we're urban, but we're not. We're rural. We're rural-urban, whatever that is. It's yeah. not suburban. Um, and, and especially us, we're, we're on a dirt road, but literally we're like a mile away from the city of Laramie and the, the, the interstate and the paved roads. Yeah, you can see it all from, from our house. Yeah, and so... <laughs> you can see civilization from our house. Uh, but there are no sidewalks. And even when you get over to the other side of the city, uh, there's no sidewalks there either. Yeah. You have to cross over the interstate on the overpass without sidewalks. So there's nothing. If you don't have a car, you really aren't supposed to get around. And we have bikes, and <laughs> right, uh, and that's fine. But uh, for much of the year, uh, there is likely to be snow on the ground, or there is snow on the ground, or you have sub-zero temperatures, and uh, you know, and and I think many of us intend to try to continue to to you know. Uh, to utilize all different methods of transportation that we can, um, but sometimes you need cars. Um, you know, particularly most of the places that we have to go into town are, you know, would be uh, about a 45 minute walk. Uh, and a 45 minute walk in, you know, certain temperatures, uh, uh, you know, and extremes, which we seem to have here, uh, is not always really convenient. And so, uh, and we also have, you know, a lot of people here who are disabled in one way or another. Um, and so all of that plays plays into it as well. Yeah, and I just want, I wanted to put that in there is that, you know, a 45-minute walk, which would be unfeasible in, in certain circumstances here, even if you're young and healthy, okay? Um, the only person I've seen pull that off is uh, Sister Kongasala in Finland who rode her bike in 25 kilometers no matter what time it was in Finland to go to church. People will <laughs> often come out here um, and they'll say, uh, oh, I'm going to start biking and I'm going to start walking. And they do it a couple of times and they're like, you know, this is just not something that I can do on a regular basis. It also, like, if I'm going to work, uh, you know, that means that I have to leave a lot earlier. And so, I mean, I think there's a lot of contingencies. And so what we've decided is we don't need 15 cars here. We don't need 10 cars here. Uh, you know, we can 
we can do this with with four vehicles more than enough uh, and we say that too because we also have to have vehicles for uh for long distance drives that's ari barking uh obnoxiously there so yeah anyway so um so what we've done is we have started a gofundme uh which um, will be linked um, on our show notes uh, as well as a Facebook fundraiser which will be linked on our show notes uh, and uh, we will publish them around you know our Patreon and our Podbean stuff and you can probably see it on the Spotify and Apple show descriptions and all of that and we'll pass it around on social media um, but we are seeking to raise money um, for, you know, to stabilize our current motor pool, uh, which means getting uh, three uh, gas-powered vehicles insured and repaired, and then uh, also to make a down payment on the um, uh, electric vehicle that we are uh, going to purchase. Um, and why don't you talk a little bit about what that electric vehicle might be and what you've been looking at, you and Sarah. Well, well folks, I want to say also... Um, Thank you for uh, contributing to this campaign for our transportation needs. Not only are you going to get the current gas vehicles insured and repaired, which is desperately needed to keep us all moving around here, but uh, we are lucky enough that we have someone who's really willing to support us in the purchase of an EV that will cover a large chunk, but we're still going to need to cover, oh, those things called tax and license fees, and there's certain things that we just have to have, and I'm not saying that we have to have the undercoating or, you know, a, a, a rock and stereo system, but we're have, there have to have for an EV in our environment, and those are going to probably put us a little over the amount that we're, we've been uh, allotted uh, to purchase an EV. So, my friend and comrade Sarah and I have been looking into every EV imaginable and we established a couple of parameters. Uh, I think it was four to be exact. One is it had to be accommodate the weather of Laramie, which means get around in the snow. We had to also have enough range to make a round trip to the Denver airport. So that's about 260 miles. It needed to accommodate um, at least five people-ish if we could pull it off. And then we also wanted some uh, cargo capacity. In it that you know that was our fourth one and then i i think the the you know we we, we put also kind of as a, as a fifth one if it was possible we needed to have um a specific item that's going to cost us a little bit of dough but it's called a heat pump range extender that enables your batteries to stay fully charged in the freezing cold freaking weather that is laramie wyoming so without this it tanks your range and cuts it in half so this is a have-to-have. It's not a luxury item. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's why your contributions are, A, much appreciated to this point, but much needed going forward because we're going to do this right. We've been looking at everything from Mercedes to Kia, and uh, they're not easy to come by. Um, 2022s are virtually impossible to find. We don't know when the 2023 year is going to come out. We're looking. Um, and, but we have our eye on a Mercedes or a Kia that meet all of those parameters that are just a little bit over, uh, the amount that we've been allotted. I don't know if we want to get into the amounts now, but uh, we'll I deal mean, with that later. I think it's, it's fine to not, like, I don't really want to get into the weeds on the loan stuff anyway, right. 
Um, but uh, uh, the so the really quick question before we start talking about capitalism, um, how, what uh, you know, what have we found in terms of range, in terms of, of miles uh, to you know miles that can be driven? It's a it is unfortunately a factor in Wyoming. Even if you're just going city to city, uh, you're going to want to know how many miles uh, until that next. Uh, charging station and how do the cars vary on those those types of things right and that that brings me to the fifth category that we also consider but wasn't one of the top but now that you put it up is it has to have a quick charge capacity which means that um, you need to be able to charge the battery quickly because if you're just regular or charging it off say your house 120 volt that's going to take like 10 hours you have to have a, a special station installed to your house and you have to have quick charge capacity at the charging stations where you are um, and those vary the amount that they can charge varies and there's usually uh, some range that says you can get 70 miles of range in 18 minutes uh, of charging and that 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 that's just some ratio. I'm making those numbers up, but that's how it works. It's basically you can get X number of miles in range in you know Y number of minutes, and mm -hmm. that's how it works. And different cars have different uh, capacities. All of these, it's just the same. I mean, and um, we what? What's the what? What car goes the longest? Uh, well, Tesla goes the longest. Uh -huh. I mean, they just do, and they. they... Is that because Elon goes the longest? If you know what I mean. Oh Jesus! Don't get me started on Elon. Listen, he makes a good car. He might be a, whatever on the other end of it, but, um, but yeah, the the te but unfortunately, finding a Tesla that would meet our environmental needs would be like over a hundred grand, and we ain't got that kind of cash. Yeah. <laughs> so we, that 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 was out the window uh, on a, on just a, a face down. Um, and even a used Tesla, which we could definitely afford, would be awesome, but once again, not designed for Wyoming's environment. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I don't know if I answered your question. No, that's great. That's great. Uh, so, uh, I was talking to you about this the other day when we were driving home, um, after, uh, your, your, after your car, uh, the starter on your car went out, um, when we were driving home in someone else's, uh, vehicle. Uh, and I and and I mentioned I think we were talking about and I said I had this weird vision this weird counterfactual vision what if back when when America you know started its interstate highway system and its automobile industrial complex and the oil companies and the rubber companies and the car companies kind of did every you know were 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 basically orchestrating this vision to turn America into a big car run and parking lot um and when and instead of doing that and instead of buying off all the public transportation and dismantling it uh like uh so many of these companies and these corporations did what if we what if the the beginning of that transformation was public based and not private based so in other words what if we had started installing people movers everywhere and what if in, instead of privileging the automobile, we privileged simply the idea of accessibility and transport everywhere. Urban, rural, suburban, everywhere. And what I, what I concluded was this system would be greatly imperfect. It would be politicized as shit. Uh, people would complain about it. 
and it would be constantly in the act of being of trying to be improved and and it would be a site of of political struggle like every other public utility right but what is the automobile industry now besides you know destroying the the planet also is imperfect also is the site of political struggle also is the site of constant complaint and constant modification the only difference between those two technological trajectories is that one of them is based on private uh, travel and the pursuit of profit and the other one would be based on need and in either case if we had started at that point with those assumptions we'd have something now we'd have a system now right so we have a system now uh, and it sucks and it's killing the planet but we could have done better we could have gone the other way on that and so you remember when i said that with sort of my wide my wild eyes and and sort of my my crazy hair well, I was going to ask if you were off your meds, but that was neither here nor there. I do. I remember that, and I remember it distinctly because I've lived in a, situ in a, in a situation similar to that in, when I lived abroad in Finland. Now, it wasn't, it was a, uh, it was a state-owned partnership with private companies mm -hmm. that ran the bus and the train system, but even the tiny towns, um, there was at least a bus that ran through that town a couple of times a day so you could get from point A to point B if you had to. And mm -hmm. even the tiniest rural towns, there was at least a bus once a day that would take you somewhere where you could get on a train. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it, 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 was, it, was, you know, it was just as... And then having lived in a large city where there was transportation everywhere, granted it wasn't free. Mm -hmm. And that what I hated the most was the argument that the, the trans public transportation needed to turn a profit and pay for itself. I'm like, no, it doesn't. That's not the point of public transportation. The point of public transportation is for people to get to work. Okay, mm -hmm. you tax cutting Republican. Like <laughs> even if like even if your your criteria is profitability and a stable profit making system. Uh, having, you know, subsidizing people's travel to and from work and school and medical care and health care and social services and even just private needs, vacation, whatever, like all of that would increase your productivity. Precisely. And if you didn't have such a reliance on this massive road infrastructure, you wouldn't be spending all of that dough, which keeps continue, keeps cities and municipal, municipalities in hawk bond issues because they have to continuously repair and repave these roads for these monstrously large vehicles that transport all of our goods because we didn't prioritize a transportation system that takes this into mind. And it's unlikely that we will unless it gets really bad <laughs> and and i think that what we're trying to do here with our transportation system by collectivizing it by creating a motor pool by creating car sharing arrangements and by beginning to transition to post-carbon fuel use is to try to create a personal model uh, a a localized model for the folks in the collective you know 16 people you know living outside of laramie wyoming we're gonna try to show you what it might look like and so we're sort of you know putting ourselves uh, under your microscope uh, to say this is us trying to do this other communities have done it uh, the one thing that you know that that we can we could talk about on a different show maybe is the idea that um you know we want to preserve 
people's ability to have a personal vehicle for their own safety and their own like autonomous use if they want it. So we're not like forbidding people from driving personal vehicles. But what we're doing is we're providing, you know, we will provide and share the burden of four vehicles uh, that people can check out and take turns, you know, driving and everyone's responsible for paying for the maintenance and everyone's responsible for uh, for planning, you know, so that it becomes convenient for other other people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just kind of a must-have, and it makes it possible, even if you do have that personal vehicle, to still reduce your footprint on it carbon-wise, live more eco-sustainably, and also, uh, you know, more uh, create more community with your, with your comrades, because mm-hmm. you're literally coordinating when you're going to work, when you're going wherever, and having people... Uh, take rides with you and also I mean I think it will save money not just because if we have an EV and we're not spending money on gas Jesus I never knew how many trips we made to town until suddenly it was one car and everybody had to make a trip to town prescriptions milk Mm -hmm. you know what and all fully legitimate I'm not saying it was and even like coordinated in many instances where there's three or four people riding in the vehicles and here's the thing we have not broken ourselves sufficiently away from consumer culture here at the collective this has always been something that's been a sort of elephant in the room and having a decentralized vehicle system has made it harder for us to see that right but having a centralized vehicle system is going to like it's going to be we're going to be looking at ourselves in the mirror a lot more collectively in terms of in terms of just how many times we need to go into town and so in some ways it's going for some of us it's going to be very eye-opening i think for some of us it's already been eye-opening in the past month and a half two months we've been dealing with this that i personally listen my car was the only one for a couple weeks there I mean, after poor uh, Dante's car got pooched um, uh, on an unauthorized trip to not in Laramie, um, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. And so, and literally, and then I just, like, everybody was using my car. I'm like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, sometimes, and I'm not making this up, there would be up to 10 trips made in a day. Mm-hmm. Okay, and right. that's... And there, that has to change. Yeah, that, that has absolutely to has to change. And, you know, and that's why my starter died, because that's 20 starts yeah. in, in, in a day. That's yeah. not supposed to happen. <laughs> it's really it's really bad. I mean, so part of that is, too, that, like, we we de- we offer to deliver eggs um, and with our egg business. And so this is an opportunity for us also to have a dialogue with our uh, comrades who, who purchase our eggs, right? We can say, look, um, do you want to have these delivered? And maybe we'll put a small surcharge or something like that for delivery um or would you prefer to come out here and get them and and maybe save you know a dollar or something like that meet the chickens and meet the chickens and walk around the uh the grounds and 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 make out with rosa or something like that um and so so i think there's going to be other cultural things and then and the other thing about that is that I was thinking about what do we do well? And one thing we really do well is we actually do take good care of each other when people need something, right? And like we're really good at, at somebody's like, I need 
this thing at the store. Okay, I need, you know, I'm not feeling well, you know, can someone do my dishes or whatever. Um, but so, like, I think in some ways the collectivization of the motor pool is also going to be a good way for us to nurture that kind of we're going to take care of each other sort of attitude and systematize it and centralize it even more. I, I agree. I'm, I'm looking forward to um, having, you know, the, the, the primary shuttle for the community to be an electric vehicle so we can really just save a lot of money but reduce our carbon footprint because mm -hmm. um, we just burn so much gas and it's ridiculously expensive and we all know the bullshit that requires putting a gallon of gas in a car. We don't need to go into that. Yeah. I don't need to read the, you know, cards to you. And we also <laughs> don't need, like, class shaming about these sorts of things, right. right? Like, working people need to be able to go to the friggin' store, and working people need to be able to go to the friggin' hospital, which we've done a couple of hospital trips in the last six months. Exactly. And so, you know, and these are things people need. And so, you know, this is not like, you know, shaming you know, like, like organic foodie shaming, like, you know, people about their transportation needs. We are trying to meet needs efficiently and communally. And that's what you're helping us do uh, by supporting, uh, by supporting this campaign. And we really appreciate it. So that information is going to be out on the, um, on our show notes. Uh, we have a GoFundMe, we have a Facebook, and of course we have patreon.com slash Solidarity House, uh, where you can um, support that program and a number of other programs that we do um, on community and collective living um, here uh, outside of, uh, of Laramie. Well, thank you very much, uh, Matt, for taking this time to sit down and talk about our transportation needs. Uh, thank you for tuning in, folks. Remember, we make this happen because you make this happen. Yep. Solidarity House. We want you to live vicariously through us, basically. Yes. Maybe I said the quiet part out loud there. Well, yeah, there'll be no video cams, though. No. We don't. <laughs> and we don't do what you think we do. Mm -hmm.